Hi everyone and welcome back to the Sustainable Sleepover Club podcast. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest and also here's a reminder that you can find us in between episodes at Sustainable Sleepover Club on Instagram. Today's goal is goal 13, climate action, which is linked if not vital to social justice. So much so that we discuss more commonly in this episode and this group is climate justice. Global temperatures are expected to rise by 3.2 degrees by the end of this century. To put this into context, the warming I'm talking about is how much the temperature of the earth has risen since pre-industrial times. Since the industrial revolution, the earth has warmed 1.2 degrees, which is where we are at now. Already, this is causing the intensity and regularity of cyclones, typhoons, flooding, hurricanes, droughts, etc. to increase. This is a huge problem and threat to Ireland as an island. But in MAPA, most affected people and areas or developing countries, they are already living in the climate crisis we are trying to prevent for our futures. Listen to Mitzi's experience of this as a climate justice activist in the Philippines by listening to episode 5. The Paris Agreement is a legally binding international treaty on climate change. Its goal is to limit global warming to well below 2, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius. For many, 1.5 is the bare minimum. So, remember that 3.2 degrees I told you about? Yet, investment into fossil fuels continues to be higher than investment into climate action globally, as reported by the UN, who also established the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, I'm going to introduce our amazing guest. Anya is a 16-year-old transition year student from rural Cork. She is a member of Cork County Corlin Nogue and has always been interested in the environment. But it wasn't until a couple years ago, when almost overwhelmed by the urgency of the situation, that she began to feel inspired to become more active in the movement. She is passionate about climate justice and the many other areas of social justice that it intersects with. Anya is a climate ambassador from Antashka and has recently become involved with Fridays for Future Ireland. Hi Anya, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. I'm very excited to be here. Like, I'm such a fan of the podcast, so it's so cool to be like on the other side of it. Oh, that's great. We're delighted to have you here. Um, so I suppose, jumping right in, um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about why you got into activism. Yeah, that's kind of a weird one for me like I was always passionate about things like gender equality or the environment um but in a very like normal way like just the way that anyone else would be um but for so long I kind of had this weird like feeling of like looking at activists and just thinking like wow they're so cool like I wish I could be like them like I wish I was that kind of person um but never really getting stuck in myself Um, And it wasn't really until like a few years ago that I realized like I could be that kind of person. Like there was no reason I couldn't be. Um, And that kind of idea of like what an activist was supposed to look like or what advocacy was supposed to look like um, really like clouded my vision for a long time from getting involved, um, which is honestly like a really harmful way of thinking about it. Because for all these movements, stuff like climate justice, especially like you need as many people involved as possible to actually commit to like the systemic action we're talking about. Um, So it's it's frustrating that I kind of let myself think that way for so long. Um, 
And then I suppose the first time that I properly felt like involved was when I went to a Fridays for Future climate strike in Cork in like 2019, I think. Um, and I was just there like anyone else. Like I came with my few friends and like my placard. Um, but it was such an amazing day. And like the energy was just unmatched. Like it felt amazing to be so like involved in something. Um, and ever since I've just wanted to be more involved. Yeah, that's brilliant. And as you said, like we need as many people as possible. Um, so like that thinking is really harmful. And I think as well, like everyone has different skills and we know that in like life and other areas, but we don't seem to like think that way in terms of activism and advocacy. But like it's so important, like contribute whatever it is you can contribute um, towards making the change. That's really good. Um, so I personally like hadn't heard of the terminology climate justice which is what I'm going to be asking about in a minute um until I was doing the NYCI project called um future generations last year um in this group and we spent a lot of time in this group explaining what it actually meant to each of us individually um and like it was something different for each of us so I was wondering um what is climate justice or can you go into the phrase climate justice um you know social justice um which is well known in climate activism so yeah what is climate justice to you yeah climate justice is kind of a phrase that I honestly hadn't thought a lot about either until like the last probably two years like even when I first got involved the way I thought about like climate action and climate change was very westernized it was very much this like individual action like recycle and you know don't litter which is important obviously um but it's not a realistic way to tackle the crisis um, so climate justice to me is kind of like considering the kind of historical impacts of things like imperialism and colonialism um, and the effects that those are still having on the communities today, um, which you can see with like, those are obviously the communities that we talk about with MAPA that are the most affected currently. Um, and taking that all into account when we're talking about like, climate action and the responsibility of the global north like it's always kind of thought about in the global north that um like we're trying we're getting better it's a step in the right direction um whereas we can't afford to think that way and we can't afford to get complacent with that kind of action like we can't wait until like the detrimental effects of the climate crisis are affecting us in the future to act when they're already affecting people in the global south. And taking that into account and going above and beyond in climate action in the global north is kind of like the foundation of climate justice for me at least. Yeah, no, that's absolutely completely true. And it's again, like another phrase in climate activism is very much so like system change, not climate change. And I suppose um, that's exactly what you're saying. Like those actions are brilliant and they are completely needed, but they're not the be all and end all. Um, and actually you've reminded me now, and this is a really good book I was reading. Um, and it's What White People Can Do Next by uh, Emma Dabiri um, but there's a really good quote and she's talking about racism which I find really interesting because to me I'm like it's also completely talks about climate action and therefore climate justice but it it is a system that is extractive 
oppositional and binary, a dominant system, one that asserts not just that white people should be dominant over other races, but that more fundamentally sees human life as dominant over all other life forms. I think it's really interesting because that's like not what she was trying to go for, but it's t- it totally speaks to climate justice. Um, anyway, <laughs> you are from rural Ireland. Um, so could, could you tell us a little bit about your experience and what climate action needs to be taken for rural Ireland? Yeah, I'm living out in the countryside um, and I'm obviously not like reflective of everyone in rural Ireland, but I kind of have been forced to consider um, the rural perspective when we talk about climate change, because it's what I think about a lot of the time when I see like government action on it. But it's also like what I'm faced with any time like climate comes up in school, especially from like an agricultural perspective. Um, So it's kind of like in terms of rural Ireland in general, we're kind of just not considered in a lot of climate action that we've seen so far from the government. Like the thing that like the government champions as action, like cycle lanes or like public transport are still so inaccessible to people living anywhere in rural Ireland. Like it's just not feasible. Um, There's like one bus that passes my house and it passes it at like 8 a.m. Like public transport is just not the most feasible option for me. Um, But then an even bigger, I guess, aspect of climate action in rural Ireland is agriculture as a whole. Um, It's agriculture is such like a tricky topic to talk about in terms of climate because it's become so unnecessarily hostile. Um, Like we've kind of been pushed in this position where it's like you're either an environmentalist or a farmer like people can't even comprehend that there could be an intersection between the two and I know from talking about people like talking with people in my community who are farmers like they don't hate the environment at all maybe they're frustrated with the way like you know the proposed climate action could negatively impact them and their livelihoods as they know it But they're generally the ones who are protecting the environment and looking after their own environment. Um, So if there was just more collaboration between the people whose livelihoods are actually at risk and the government in stuff like the Climate Action Plan, then we wouldn't see half as much of the like arguments and hostility that we do. Um, But yeah, we're not really at that point yet still it's still such a controversial topic when it doesn't need to be yeah that's that's so true and it's so important to like in just transition bring everyone along but like not just bring them along like we have like everyone has ideas and rural ireland and farmers like cooperate with farmers if you're going to make them make this like huge change because we do need farmers like in in my town um in the newspaper last week um with the passing of the climate like climate bill they they were protesting farmers were protesting the climate bill but they weren't protesting um like climate action they were protesting the climate bill that didn't support them or listen to them do you know what I mean it wasn't climate action or like action generally you know um so I think at this point it's well known that young people are driving the change yet we're still not taken seriously if we are brought in but are mostly just excluded from politics so if you could tell first of all Michal Martin something about climate change what would you say um oh god that's such an interesting question (laughs) Um, yeah 
I don't know. I guess just like that it's it's so simple, but that it is a crisis. Like the government love to say that it's, you know, we've declared it an emergency and we're acting and it's a crisis, but I don't think any of them have genuinely, you know, put that thought into their heads. Like, I don't think it's going through um, because the action we've seen from Ireland so far is nowhere near enough. The climate bill, although it's a step in the right direction, um, it's not really an achievement. It's like I said before, like, unless we're going above and beyond, it is not good enough. And Ireland is definitely not going above and beyond. In fact, we're one of the worst in Europe in terms of emissions. And there's no real signs of that changing anytime soon. And until there is action to like meet those proclamations of it being an emergency or it being a crisis, those proclamations are meaningless. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, there is no bare minimum in, in this crisis. Like you don't just do something small as a tick the box to look good in the media. Um, it's not really how it works, you know, um, completely. And you were talking about, um, you know, your first strikes. And I was wondering if you could tell us like why you think strikes are important and like why is the act of civil disobedience part of the climate justice movement? Definitely. Like I think obviously all forms of activism are valid even online which is a lot of um online activism has come out of the pandemic but i think there's definitely something to be said about actions like those strikes or protests like they catch people's attention immediately like i was in i think it was like an svhe class or something recently um and we had to discuss like the issues that teenagers were facing today um and my teacher, knowing that like I was the person interested in climate and activism or whatever, um, called on me in the class to be like, Anya, what about climate change? Everyone's forgotten about that during the pandemic, haven't they? Um, and I was so taken aback by that question because my answer to that is no. Of course, we haven't forgotten about it. Like I had organized an Earth Week in the school the week before. I had striked from school the week before for climate, like I haven't forgotten, thousands of young people across the world haven't forgotten either. Um, but people kind of have this attitude that if it's not like on the streets, that it's not worth listening to. And I hate to say it, but like that is the fact of the matter. Um, and it's a lot of the reason why the climate movement appears to have lost so much during the pandemic. And that isn't true. We've just lost visibility, but that's kind of everything in terms of like getting people's attention or getting on the news. Yeah, very much so. It's like catching politicians' attention. Um, but that's so true. Like that that kind of idea that like COVID has taken over from climate change, and you're like, it doesn't really work like that. Like we are still fighting all crises you know crises um but yeah no definitely that is actually a statement I've heard as well um so if this is a hard one but I have um been asked this before and it is it is hard but if you could imagine a better world um any world what would it look like and how would we get there um mostly how would it look like that is a really good question and it is so hard like um Actually, I was listening to one of your 
it was the episode with Mitzi, um, who I just think is amazing. Um, and I love that episode so much, but it was what she said about like internalized capitalism. It really, really stood out to me. Like I paused the episode and immediately like made a note of that in my phone. I thought it was such a good way of putting it that I really hadn't considered before. Like, I think my better world would be a world where we're moving away from that kind of thought. Like, I think the way, obviously consumption isn't everything and like corporations are largely at fault, but the way we currently consume just like as a human race in general, like is terrible. Like we really don't consider what we're buying. We don't consider each other. We don't consider who's making our clothes. And all of that plays into like social injustice. It plays into the climate crisis. Um, so yeah, I think a world where we were less focused on like purchases and materialistic goods and economic growth and capitalism in general, and more focused on our environments and each other in our communities would be a far better world to live in. Yeah, wow, definitely. Um, well done on the spot. And I love that episode as well. Um, and I think like what you're saying about like moving away from that like capitalist thinking and internalized capitalism it's so important not just in terms of like you've mentioned like the material like you know consumption and stuff like that but also like how we like it is generally the root of like racism and homophobia and gender inequality and so many issues like it it really is um so like there are many reasons that it would create a better world um, so I was wondering, obviously, um, as your teacher noticed, um, you know a lot about climate change. Um, so do you have any ways that you could share on like how to learn about climate change for people who maybe like want to but don't know how, like maybe documentaries, books, people, TV, movies, so on? Yeah, um, I think that's kind of like a lot of the reasons that people kind of shy away from climate or like activism circles is that they feel they don't know enough. Um, and I would say in general that like even the fact that you're considering it means that you know enough to get involved. Like everyone starts from somewhere. Everyone can always learn something new. Um, but yeah, what I've, I finished it recently, actually, um, and I thought it was just such an amazing read, was Climate Justice by Mary Robinson. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect from that book because I love Mary Robinson and she's done amazing work with climate. But I was like... I just didn't know what to think, um, but I thought it was done so well. Like she doesn't speak about herself at all. She sees, speaks about some of her experiences, but the entire book is just like uplifting people from the most affected areas, especially women who like, as we know, often carry the burden of climate change and changing temperatures in the global south. Um, because they're the ones working with the land a lot of the time or working with resources or having to like get water. All of those kind of jobs are often um, carried out by women and it puts them at risk of climate change more so than anyone else. So I just thought it was such an amazing read and I would really recommend it to anyone. Um, other than that, like podcasts, I think are honestly such a good way of learning just because like you can put it on in the background and just go about your day. So obviously this podcast, love it. I'm a <laughs> massive fan. Um, but also Climate Ambassadors um, have a podcast on Spotify as well that just like they interview experts on different climate related issues. And I think it's so like accessible and so palatable and so easy to listen to. 
So if anyone doesn't know where to start, I would also recommend starting there. They are all brilliant suggestions and I did love Mary Robinson's book. Um, and I think, you know, again, you've like, again, mentioned um, with like climate change about like how it's also a gender um, inequality issue, you know, with women being most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. And like, if you look at no poverty, like what do people think is going to happen with the effects of climate change? You know, it is a poverty issue. Um, so that was really good. And if there was, this has been an amazing interview, um, but I was wondering, do you have a final message for anyone listening at all? Yeah, um, I guess it's kind of similar to like, everything I've been saying is that I can't like overestimate the importance of being involved and being aware and participating in things like not necessarily activism because I do understand that maybe it isn't for everyone um I think it's for most people um so if you're like even have like a tiny thought about it I like please do reach out to like communities or activists who inspire you and get involved um, but yeah, just as young people getting involved in politics in general, um, and I don't mean like everyone aspiring to be a politician, like that's not what I mean at all, like, but that's so often what politics is thought of, um, and I find it so frustrating because it's such like an exclusionary way to think of it, um, but politics is really related to absolutely everything, and by staying aware and, you know, contacting your TDs and like, forcing them to listen to you and to listen to a youth voice like you were even more like paving a way for like young people to be appreciated and for our opinions to be respected and to legitimize our thoughts um so yeah get involved stay aware <laughs> that's such like a I don't know like cliche bit of advice to give but yeah I do mean it <laughs> No, that was such a good final message. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, thank you. It's It's been amazing. No problem. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sustainable Sleepover Club. Um, that was such a good interview. And did anyone have anything that particularly stood out to them? I don't really know where to start, to be honest. Like there was a lot in that, that interview, like in particular, like there's a lot you could talk about. I feel an interesting thing I thought you were talking about was civil disobedience. And you know, if you're not on the streets, are people even seeing you? Are you being heard? Because I think the climate action movement has such a weird relationship with the media, if you think about it. Like, we need the media to survive in a way, because I think you both touched on it, like, people, even, you know, her SPG teacher was like, oh, the climate movement, you know, it's dead. What do you think about that? You know, just because they're not partaking in it and they don't see it. And that's because the media isn't covering us at the moment. So we need the media to survive and they love to use us for headlines. But then the headlines get old for them at some point and we get apathy and we get radio silence. And so civil disobedience is so interesting here. And for those who don't know what it is, it's um, kind of like protesting in a lot of different ways. Like you can do strikes or sit-ins without violence. Um, and it's really interesting because you cannot be ignored and we need to make sure that we're not ignored in the climate justice movement. But, um, and especially so that the media will pick us up. But we can't constantly play to the media all the time as well because that's when it gets performative. Like you can't just do everything 
just so you get picked up for media because then you're not being true to the actual movement itself and the only thing you're doing is being palatable to a wider audience so you can get clicks but then in the end who are you benefiting you know at that point are you actually campaigning for climate justice or are you campaigning to get clicks on RTE I think that's really interesting because like we cannot pander to anyone or be indebted to anyone at the expense of achieving real action and I just thought that was a really interesting point as well about how people think we're completely gone just because we're not there on the cover of, you know, a, as a headline or as a thumbnail on YouTube. I just thought that was a really interesting point. And even to like go off what Anna said, it took millions of children to walk out of school before, you know, any government action was properly taken, especially by member of the UN and the EU putting in billions of euros a few years ago when the like kind of Fridays for Futures really took action across the world and it kind of it caused to like impugn the government's ability to actually take action if there's no civil dis- disobedience as Anna said it took like that much effort for them to even notice us and then even then the media was kind of iffy about covering it and you'd have different views in the media it's hard to keep attention and now with COVID that's kind of taken over the media's attention and when people are saying that the entire movement's dead even though it can't die it's it doesn't work like that yeah i think that's really interesting off of what carol said like i mean i suppose you could say that the next big thing nearly came along in the media which was like covid and everything surrounding covid but like i was even trying to think myself when anya like mentioned it um that like her csv or her teacher was like you know oh um the climate like action movement isn't happening anymore and like i was thinking myself i mean realistically unless you like follow let's say specifically climate activists on social media or like you know like Greta Thunberg or something you're really not going to see anything I can't really remember the last time I saw anything specifically climate related in like mainstream media yeah and I think with COVID like COVID took over everyone's like uh, perspectives on like everything like if you look at like say like plans in 2019 like to like the government had to like make their plans they were all based on climate action like at the top of the list everything was climate action because it was what people wanted and then COVID hit and it was just like that was abandoned completely and you know instead of the media like it was like climate action and then just completely abandoned but what COVID showed is that like for so long we weren't allowed or people like didn't take action on climate change because it was seen as way too severe to take action or like you know like these actions would be too like harsh or whatever but COVID showed that the government can take action in a crisis like maybe not effectively as the way that COVID was not very effective action but they can take immediate action that can have immediate effects against maybe like the sort of convenience of the people do you know what I mean like climate action isn't going to be nice or fun or like a super like I don't know, a fun thing to do, but it need, it's necessary. And all COVID did was show that they can take that necessary actions, but they just don't really want to. So I think Eve kind of raised an interesting point there, though, about like what people consider immediate danger, danger versus like long term danger. And I think like typically unless something you can see it happening right in front of you, in general, people don't tend to be too worried about it, you know. So, like, I mean, while you can see effects of climate action here in Ireland, it's not like we've any glaciers that have, like, melted or anything, you know, that you can, like, see, like, oh, my God, you know, this is definitely happening. Whereas I think, like, the contrast with COVID is that, you know, people were and are dying and they were in hospital and they were very visibly sick, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, this is a crisis. Whereas I think people don't really view climate action as a crisis simply because you can't really see the effects until it's too late you know oh stop and like like even then that's so interesting because 
it goes into this discussion we have all the time about empathy and how a lack of empathy is going to be the downfall of the entire climate justice movement because people in the West are not going to see that it is real and it is happening right like, it might not be on our doorsteps as we realise it, but if you look at, you know, MAPA, most affected people in areas, they're, this is a reality, like, every single day. And to tie it back to the interview, you know, with Anya, realising, you know, climate justice as a whole, uh, I really loved her take on, you know, how decolonization and things like that tie into climate justice, because that's, it exacerbates this problem by so much, like, you know, because you have to realise in climate justice that climate action is so linked with other social justice movements. Like you cannot simply have recycle, XOX, you know, you're done, babes, good job. Like that's not going to do anything for the climate justice movement as good as it is, because you need to look at the broader issues as well that tie into it, like about poverty and about racism and about sexism and how that's all going to exacerbate these issues that we're facing and how it's not affecting all groups the same, you know? Like, but climate justice really is kind of allowing people to make the changes that they can and realizing that every, not everyone can make the same changes because we're not all on a level playing field as much as people would like to believe that we are. I think actually one of the only things I ever learned in CSBE class, this is the first time I was introduced the idea of, um, you know, just development as a whole, basically, where sure, I guess developed nations have, you know, whatever, we've used a lot of fossil fuels to get where we are today. And then we're looking at these developing countries and we're like, okay, now we have to cut out our fossil fuels and we're done developing. Um, but fossil fuels are bad, so you also have to cut them out. And they're like, no, you pillaged us for decades, for centuries, taking all of our resources. Now we need these fossil fuels to try try even make up the gap that you've left us in. And now you're just saying we can't have it because you can't have it. Like, that's just, it blows my mind all the time. Like, Yeah, and I think like, it's really important in like, even how you think of like, say, MAPA or developing countries, like, by nature, the world isn't divided in to like, you know, sections or rich and poor. Um, Like I do, I, I know that there is oceans, but like, you know, in terms of like rich and poor, um, but like, um, like that is very much so like human exploitation and colonization and it's continuous and continuous and it's still continuing. And with climate justice, that's like climate change is once again affecting those who are poorer because of countries that are richer and have exploited those countries but also now because they don't have the same resources and money are less able to adapt to the climate change that is worse affecting them it's a complete injustice and that's what like climate justice mean and I think when Gabby was talking about how people can't visibly see that it's a crisis like as Anna was saying, it's it's empathy. It's seeing that, no, it is a crisis. It may not be on your doorstep, but it's a crisis. Um, and again, like that is the downfall of every movement, the lack of empathy. Um, and that's what we need from our government is, and just generally the narrative on climate change needs to focus, yes, always on being informed by science, but not the narrative itself being science, you know, being stories and being people's experience. It's so think, true. Oh, the- sorry, Go ahead, Carol. No, Gary, no. That's fine. Okay, we're just going to sit here shaking our heads at each other. I'll go ahead. Um, I think, like, it's so true on the empathy thing, like, with what Anna and Amy were saying, though. Um, You know, and it's sort of like, I suppose, oh, my God, what was I saying? Um, Empathy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but, like, in terms of, I think, 
what action can be taken and needs to be taken is obviously going to vary country by country, you know, and I think it's easy for us to look at climate change from a Western perspective because we live in the Western part of the world, you know, um, and there's a certain amount of privilege attached to that, you know, and I think what people often don't realise is that, like, climate justice is going to mean different things to people living in different countries who are affected by it differently. So, like, you know, it's the same way that, like, you can't go, like, oh, ban all plastic bottles, you know, when countries don't have access to clean water, you know. Um, and I think that's probably part of the problem is that, like, people can't, you know, or find it difficult to emphasise when, or empathise when, I suppose they don't really understand how like climate change affects different affects other countries differently and affects other countries very severely you know um like it's not climate change what we see of climate change is nothing compared to what you know um other countries see of climate change and I thought that was quite interesting pretty much to go off what like Gabby was saying she kind of stole out of my mouth the whole like westernized view sorry Eve the whole westernized view on like climate change and like climate action it's very easy for us to go like oh you know go to your local recycling center or we're going to ban plastic bags or we're going to start using compostable plastics instead but like we have those resources available at the expense of like many other countries especially the global north who exploit the global south for the resources that we need and while we can sit here you know looking at the world in rose tinted glasses and saying like climate action isn't it's not immediate for us because we have the resources in the future within reason to delay the effects we can never prevent them we're able to build well not really but we're able to come up with you know renewable and sustainable ways of providing electricity but we're like why can't they do the same but their resources that they need to do that same thing have been exploited in colonialism imperialism and just general like you know human rights violations through exploitation of the people and the whole like human or the whole climate action and climate change is affecting MAPA more than anywhere else at, but it's because of us at their expense you know that was so badly phrased but like no, that was good yeah, and like, if you think about, as she was saying about the historical impact, like, these countries that we view as poor and in inverted commas, like, they weren't exploited because they're poor countries. No, like, when, like in history, people don't exploit countries for nothing. They exploit them for their resources. They're incredibly valuable resources. So we've exploited these countries and then left them to just literally, like, pick up the slack and pick up, the, like, the impacts of our own, like, like convenience again like we're living in the age of convenience like our plastic water bottles are made from oil reserves in countries that don't even have clean water do you know what I mean so it's like it's insane and like the immediate impact of climate change in those countries is so severe and if we don't have that empathy and realize that like just because we can't see it right here it's not happening like we need to be like we can't be as Carl said we can't be the world from uh, to roasting the glasses or a western perspective we have to literally like listen to people who are literally telling us and screaming what their story is on every single day how it's affecting them and like even in Ireland like one of the most neutrally like weather countries in the whole wide world like you know, we never get like intense snow or intense heats think of the last three five years like how many like not like the, to us they're crazy but other countries are normal but like we had you no know, hurricane Ophelia or like the flooding that happens in Cork City every year like these are like these are effects. And like, we always think they're so severe. We're like, oh, that's so scary. You know, the flooding is so, so intense. Blah, blah, blah. 
it's happening every single day in other countries and we don't even like we pretend to just like not even see it but when it happens to us we like get so scared of it does that make sense i don't know if that makes no, sense definitely. but like whenever we get like little effects of stuff like that where it's like oh yeah this is such a big deal like you know like flooding and it is such a big deal obviously i'm not saying it's not it is like in a hurricane and people were like lost lives were lost during that but like if you think other every other day countries are experiencing what we're experiencing 10 times over like, with, like two extremes and if we don't have that empathy then like there's never going to be action if people don't listen yeah and i think even in ireland like when you talk about climate justice even like how we go about climate action is like it there's injustice in ireland too in terms of like if you look at different classes and stuff on what people can do like you know in the project i was talking about that um like kind of formed this group we were talking a lot about bins but like a lot of people go bins like it's not a climate action issue it's not a poverty issue but it so is and it's like Anya was talking about that in terms of climate justice that like intersectionality of issues um and I think it's just really interesting that both in Ireland we have like different injustices that link to climate justice but also like worldwide we, we need climate justice um like because we are indebted to those other like countries as well Actually, I think now that you may bring up that group, the Future Generations Climate Justice Project, another like stakeholder of that group that was there was Macron Firma, and they were bringing a lot about the you know the young rural perspective and the young farmers perspective, which also is something that Anya definitely touched on a lot. And I think it's just what from what she said, it's so crazy how farmers are so demonized in the climate justice movement. You know, like it's always we're pointing the finger at you. Your cattle are the cause of all our problems, and it's just. It hurts because farmers, like, they are the caretakers of this earth, like, on a genuine level, you know? And they have so much, we have, there's so much potential for us to support them to become the pillar of the, the climate justice movement, especially in Ireland, where agriculture is such a big part of our identity. Um, and so, like, farmers, they, they love their land. They live for their land. You know what I mean? Like, many of them would absolutely love the opportunity to learn about climate action. More importantly, be given the support and resources to look after um, their cli- their land in a more sustainable way. And, like, that's something we hear a lot from young farmers as well. Like, they would af- actually are looking after the environment. They'd love the support to be able to do so as well from the government. But it's just so overlooked. And because we're demonizing them in this way, pointing a finger at them, of course, they're going to look at us and go, well, we don't want your help if you're just going to be saying that we're the problem the whole time, not offering any solutions, but just completely like bashing us. Like, why would we want your help? You know what I mean? So you just put these two groups at complete odds with each other, as Anya was talking about, where like they could be helping each other so much. And it's not kind of a mutually exclusive thing. You know, you can be a farmer and a climate justice activist. And many farmers are as well. Many farmers would love to be able to do so. But in the current state that our country is working and the current state of both those groups, you know, it's just not happening. And that's like like a big part of what Anna said is like, there's a big comparison between the Global North, Global South and how like Irish government treats its farmers as in like we demand change but we don't provide it or you're not willing to aid in providing it like the Irish government is demanding that farmers reduce their emissions and all this kind of thing but they're not providing any solutions and it's the same with you know the global north demanding change in countries that can't necessarily afford to change the way that we are able to do that and so as in like there are solutions to reducing emissions for farmers but it's not affordable it's not viable at this time in this current climate and like the fact that the change has to come so quickly but there's no 
fast solutions without support from bodies like them, you know? I think the thing, like, I mean, that sometimes people might forget is that, like, farmers are, like, people too who are just trying to survive off of a livelihood, you know? Um, A livelihood which which many of them are, like, many smaller farmers are struggling to survive off of, you know? Um, And, like, like villainizing someone is not going to put them on your side you know and there is kind of there is an attitude I suppose among some like climate activists of like you know this is bad and you should stop you know and like how would you feel if someone just yanked your job away from you in the morning like you know bye bye we don't like nurses anymore or something like no job for you like I mean you'd be angry obviously you know and I think that's the thing with farmers as well and often for farmers you know, land has been in families for years. And like, this is what, you know, generations have done. Um, So it's like, it's an important part of like their tradition and their heritage, you know, and they're following like farming traditions that have been around for years, you know? So I think like, I suppose, like I said, the thing to remember is like that, like farmers are human too that way. You can't just be like you change, you know, but like, we're not going to help you, you know? And I suppose like one thing I think of even is, I think like, I'm not positive about this, but like, I think in Ireland now, let's say like slurry spreading, you're supposed to like inject it into the ground where than like spread it over the ground. But like, obviously to do that, you have to pay for another bit of machinery to do that um, because it's a different type of machinery. And like, I don't know if the government offers financial aid to do that or not, but like, if they don't, it's a cost incurred upon the farmer, you know, and that's money again, you know? And I mean, it's interesting, like poverty is the number one, Uh, or well it is like the first of the sustainable development goals but like realistically it affects all the other goals so much you know even that example of like farmers um and like climate activists I think it's such an example of that being climate action not climate justice because climate action may be you know like climate action like you're gonna scientifically you know save the planet but what about the people on the planet whether it's changing jobs or it's people in other countries um and also you know like Anna was saying as well about like um fossil fuels and like how do these countries then develop like we need to support those countries and same with farmers like that's climate justice rather than just climate action which demonizes farmers you know I think it's just like it's just a good example of that to explain it yeah and like farming is necessary like there's no way to go about it you can't just say oh let's stop farming what are you gonna eat then do you know what I mean like literally it's insane to me that like they, it's just completely ignored part of the conversation and like like Anya was saying like a lot of like st- r- the rural Ireland is ignored in like these topics like even with like transport as she was talking about like it's like I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about uh, the new like, climate bill and then like, public transport, like how things cycle lanes and how they want, you know, like um, bus routes or whatever. And everything they were talking about, literally every single thing they were talking about was D- Dublin. And I was like, they kept saying, oh, like, you know, rural Ireland, like it needs to be talked about too. And then they didn't talk about it. And I was like, girls, what are we doing here? Like, you can't ignore like the majority of the country just to fit one, like the capital. Like, it doesn't make sense to me at all. And someone called in and they were like, oh, why aren't you asking someone from Rhode Island then? And they were like, oh, well, it's population based. Like, I was, I was sitting there in shock. I was like, you can't ignore like half the population just because they don't live in Dublin. Like, I was like, it's mad. So back to the point of farmers, they need to be included in the conversation. You know what I mean? Like people need to be included in every single conversation. You can't just like talk for them or talk about them. Farmers need to be in those conversations, in those rooms where action's happening to actually have a contribution to this thing, but they're not welcomed because they're just demonized, as you all said. Like, it's mad. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, if you make someone feel like they're a target and that you're against them from the start before they've even had like a chance to talk to you, then like obviously they're not going to necessarily feel too comfortable, you know, being around. And I think it is kind of like, I suppose it's a targeted way of looking at things as well. Because, I mean, like one of the big, I suppose, um, issues that people have that they've kind of brought up is like methane production. You know what I mean? Methane is like produced in the stomachs of ruminant animals you know which is like pigs and cows and stuff you know and obviously that's a major part of farming here in Ireland um you know and around the globe but I mean like methane's produced in loads of other areas as well like I mean if my chemistry book is to be believed methane is produced in like from paddy fields you know I've never met one person who's gone like ban the rice you know it's always like no more cows I've never met someone like who's taken up an issue with, you know, rice farming. So I think it's an interesting kind of like a, for, I suppose for some people nearly choosing who they want to be angry at rather than looking at it from a more broader perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, another thing that Anya said that was really, really interesting was about, um, and it's so true, about how activists and like the term um, like activism or advocates are kind of viewed in terms of like either being like really glorified and like that people feel they can't be part of that, um, which is so harmful because like that kind of stops people from like educating themselves and taking action. And as I said, like action can look different for everyone because we all know that we are different. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it's just so important that like whatever you can do because everyone has like different things they can do like do get involved and do learn and you know do what you can I think it's it's so so important and not to feel isolated um and I think even as a term like anyone can be an activist it's just taking an action to make a change you know what I mean yeah it doesn't matter how big or small that change is, is either you know as you say like a change can be as big as you know leading a mass- massive national campaign or as small as you know talking to your family about you know an issue you think over dinner like that's a small change that you can make or reading a book about something maybe you haven't heard of before that's a small change that you can make for yourself as well and I think a good way to get involved is literally just to ask you know like message someone that you know is involved in the movement or maybe even a campaign page like Fridays for Future or even our own Instagram account because and ask for pointers because I can guarantee that anybody you ask would be so happy to try to help you out, you know? Like, this is actually how I got involved in activism. And I think it's quite funny is because I remember Anya DMing me on Instagram one day asking how to go to the Corla AGM. Like, I just think that's such a nice connection to have, especially in a topic like like this, you know? Like, it's something as small as like, hey, I saw this on your Instagram story, just wondering how can I get involved or is there anything I can do to help? Like, it might seem a bit daunting at first, but like if someone would love to help you like there are people out there who are dying for you know people dying to tell people you know more things about the movement or getting just getting people involved like you don't even have to like volunteer every single second of your every day but as small as look I can maybe share your post on Instagram or things like that like that's just nice small ways that you can get involved and anyone can be an activist like literally it's that easy And I think people really underestimate like the importance of just talking to people and learning from each other. Like we've expressed it like so many times throughout this whole like podcast, but like we've all learned so much from each other. Like even today, like listen to Anya, I was like, oh my God, wow, I feel like I'm learning stuff just like, you know what I mean, from listening. 
And like, it can be so intimidating to like join a group or like even just talk or DM someone like, trust me, I know, like people seem super, super like educated and smart. And you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I might say something dumb, but like you will never, ever grow if you don't learn, you know, you never grow if you don't ask. And like every single person I've met who's involved with like any form of social justice or whatever is so nice and so, so willing to like help and to like, and will be like so responsive to you. So yeah, again, um just talking to people and learning from each other is just like the basis of it's, and it's empathy as well like as we go back to empathy again yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think like again like we just we need everyone so get involved in any way you can because like it's not even willingness to let you in like like come in because like we do need everyone um for this change so yeah um I think this that was like all of your messages were so nice um as a lovely way to end the podcast um so Gabby are you ready okay, I'm ready <laughs> Tom Riggy me <laughs> okay um guys I think I do three Slan. Slan. now we have an invitation if you remember, in this podcast episode, as well as multiple others, the Sustainable Sleepover Club have talked about the Future Generations project. That's what it was called last year when we joined and this group formed. Little did we know it would develop into what you're listening to now and continue for us six. But actually, it's the Climate Justice Fund project that runs from July to December. And if you'd like to be part of this year's YMCA group, let us know on Instagram at Sustainable Sleepover Club. You'll speak to young people all over the country from different backgrounds, building empathy and listening, just like we advocate and have all learned from in the podcast group, as well as actively learning in a dialogue-based way about climate justice. So if you feel like you know nothing or everything, maybe it's for you. Let us know if you have any more questions. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Also, you can read the entire transcript of every episode in the link to our Google Drive, which you can find on our Instagram. Once again, online youth information chat is live from 4pm to 8pm, Monday to Friday at ymca-ireland.net slash question or find ymca at yiyoungvoices. You can find our Instagram account at Sustainable Sleepover Club because we'd love to engage with you, our listeners. Every second Thursday, we will release a new episode. But for now, slon. So